Hello, this is James Grunvig with Unrestricted Warfare on Decentralized.media. And we got a very special guest who I interviewed uh, back in my old media network. Uh, his name is Chad Stewart. He's an author, Brentfield series. We will get into it in a few minutes. But this story is really about borders because we have the Texas uprising, 25 states versus 25 states of the U.S., Hawaii, five, uh, hello. And then we have, of course, Gaza. And the ruling came in today from the International Court of Justice for, for what? For the uh, Genocide Convention. So we're going to get into it, but let's play the first video on the ICGJ ruling, which could be updated at any time because it's just the beginning of the process. The State of Israel shall submit a report to the court on all measures taken to give effect to this order within one month as from the date of the order. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Grant, Judge Adhok Moseneke. Against? Judge Sabutinde, Judge Adhok Barak. It's a major ruling that I'll get into in a moment, but let's talk about what's going what's going on in Texas, a Longhorn state. A showdown at the U.S. southern border between local authorities in Texas and the federal government over how to handle the influx of migrants. We're here under the governor's order in order to, to, uh, to protect Texas. Texas Governor Greg Abbott continuing what's known as Operation Lone Star, a nearly three-year-old initiative to deter migrants from illegally crossing into the U.S., from adding extra troopers like Sergeant Cordova at the border, placing floating barriers in the river, passing laws that allow state and local law enforcement to arrest migrants who entered Texas illegally, and the latest, installing razor wire along the banks of the Rio Grande. Despite these obstacles, migrants like this man still trying to cross. He says he just wants to surrender and ask for asylum. On Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled federal border patrol agents could take down the razor wiring. The decision further fueling the divide between Texas and the federal government over who has the authority to secure the border. The Department of Homeland Security saying rather than helping to reduce irregular migration, the state of Texas has only made it harder for frontline personnel to do their jobs and to apply consequences under the law. Meanwhile, migrant crossings continue. We're getting high crossings from different, uh, different parts of the world. Just this past Monday, a law enforcement source familiar with the operations on the ground said Border Patrol agents apprehended about 4,000 migrants. In mid-December, those daily numbers were closer to 10,000. I'm Jen Sullivan reporting. Oh, yeah, everything's uh, wonderful in this country and the world. So let's dive into the uh, PowerPoint because there's a lot of information here. Let me get into it. Borders, Britfield, and Knowledge, episode 36 with Chad Stewart. Yes, this is James Grimm. You can find me on Unrestricted Warfare and Beyond the Bible every day, every other day for these shows, mostly. Uh, Rumble.com, Red Pill Project, where you're going to find the videos for now. 
but ultimately we're going to go to what decentralized media and tomorrow on saturday the 27th we have a all-day kind of telethon like jerry lewis but a little different we're going to talk about mk ultra programs with kathy o'brien i'm interviewing her i got an interview with dr christian northrup i'm going to interview dr lee merritt on all these manhole covers that are blowing up underground activity oh and dumbs so it's going to be an amazing day then uh josh reed's interviewing carrie cassidy Alpha Ware and Alexander Bruce, an old colleague. And uh, our CEO, Jason Garcia, is going to interview Tammy Garcia. I mean, his wife is going to interview uh, Meredith Miller and Dr. McDonald. You want to tune in. You also want to donate. So go to the website, decentralized.media, and help us launch our platform. Texas border uprising. So Texas is the dark state, but 24 other states, including Alaska, in red, have all backed Texas, as the federal government is completely illegal. Of course, nat naturally, the blue states, you can see them in gray, they, they are against it. So we got a perfect cabal, deep state, divine conquer operation going on. And there's a lot of a National Guard from these different states that have gone down to Texas to reinforce the border. They're ignoring the uh, unconstitutional Supreme Court. Why? Well, let's go take a look. Oh, because... Many Americans feel, conservative Christians in particular, feel that the Supreme Court is rigged and that it's run by Marxist commies. And look at this meme on Amy Commie Barrett making a pun on her name. Then we hear the, hear the 25 governor, GOP governors back into Texas uh, in border fight. So this is going to be interesting. This is a fluid situation. There is a, more National Guard down there than any federal ICE or Department of Homeland Security supposedly under the Biden regime. So we're going to see how this plays out. But the question becomes, and I had a guest on a couple of days ago, by moving all these National Guard down towards the Texas border, does that make the other states vulnerable to any kind of Red Dawn invasion activity, any skirmishes in cities, riots, things of that nature? I don't know the answer to that question, but it does seem that's a possibility. So that's something to be you know, alert, especially if you live in those states that sent the National Guard down to Texas. So I'm just telling you people, if you live in those other 24 states, be careful, be on alert. So uh, I won't call him King Charles. I don't want to call him Prince Charles. You know, he's an unroyal, in my opinion. And he's tied to Epstein Island through Prince Andrew. Make no mistake of it. And, and about five thrones of uh, the young ones have abdicated uh, their future thrones. You've had 175 CEOs, uh, agency heads in the past three weeks since the Epstein client list has been released. So none of this is an accident. And now people are being pulled off stage with COVID, right? That's a, that's a code word for being pulled off stage with COVID. And others are being, oh, going to hospitals for prostate surgery. I don't know if he's actually getting prostate surgery, but maybe that's just a cover story for him being removed off stage because people like this uh, Prince. Charles has been called a pedophile before. I'm not the first to say that. Um, I don't have any evidence of it, but it wouldn't surprise me. And if he is a pedophile, then it ties back to the Trump executive order of uh, December 20, 2017, when he said he'd take down all leaders in all corporations worldwide, freeze their assets, and arrest them related to child sex trafficking, adrenaline harvesting, organ harvesting, any illegal human trafficking violations whatsoever. That is still in effect under the Biden regime, believe it or not. And it's in full force. And by the way, when Trump published that 
executive order the next day, the 21st of December 2017, the, the chairman of the board without notice, Eric Schmidt, resigned. So you, you, you can take away any analysis on that you want, but it should be pretty obvious to what's going on. So here we go. The ICJ rules that some of the acts committed by Israel fall under the provisions of the Genocide Convention. There's no ceasefire in place, not yet. That, that was not discussed today, so we have this. But let me read a, a couple points from Rob House, who's been covering this. Genocide ruling, the court orders provisional measures, massive majority, 15 to 2 or 16 to 1, depending on which measures. Israel's ad hoc judge votes for some of the provisional measures, thereby accepting the fundamental legal and factual basis on which the court is acting. The provisional measures focus on requiring Israel to take all steps needed to prevent violations of the relevant provisions of genocide convention, including relation to, to humanitarian situations, right, and report back to the court in a month, one month from today, right, about uh, what it's done. So are they going to are they going to peel back? Are they going full steam ahead? They're going full steam ahead. I believe the the government of Israel is going to have some serious serious problems. Africa will have an opportunity to comment on the report and the adequacy of Israel's efforts, depending on how that goes. One would imagine a court might decide additional measures are needed, including in relation to cessation of all hostilities. We will see. It's a beautiful thing. So here we have Chad Stewart. So not as an author and a filmmaker, he's also an educator. And he's got the BritfieldInstitute.org as his primary I guess, Institute for Knowledge, and we'll get into it. And you can find Chad Stewart URLs at Britfield.com, BritfieldInstitute.org. Let's welcome Chad Stewart. Chad, good good to meet you. Great to be back on. Thank you. Yeah. So, so first of all, Britfield for the audience, is it a place? Is it a historical uh, time in British history? What is it for the audience? Yeah, I mean, Britfield and Lost Crown, that's book one, is part of a seven-book series. It takes place in current time, present time. Book one's in England, and then book two is in France. Book three is in Italy. Book four is Eastern Europe. Book five is Asia. Book six is South America. Book seven is the United States. So it kind of travels the world, current time. But the Britfield is, uh, trying to give a little bit away here from book one, but Britfield is actually um, uh, a real royal dynasty that was usurpered in England, starting in the Norman times, um, specifically right around uh, the Stuart dynasty, and then uh, and then the Windsor, Winter, Windsor, Windsor dynasty. So it's kind of interesting that you were talking about Prince Charles, because there's a lot coming out, you know, that they're not the actual um, true royals, uh, basically coming from Germany and not England and stuff. So that's kind of the premise that's kind of behind this thread. But it's a very small sort of sliver. It's really about Tom, who's an orphan at 12 years old, at this horrible orphanage up in Weatherly. Uh, that's book one. And uh, he's been there for six years. And this is the year he breaks out. And he goes along with his best friend, Sarah, who's 12. And they're relentlessly chased by the illustrious detective Gowerstone. So that's kind of the opening of book book one. And they commandeer a hot air balloon. And they fly to Oxford. And then Windsor, London, and finally Canterbury. And then book two takes off into France. With this sort of high-speed, fast-paced, fun adventure series that includes geography, art, art, architecture, history, and culture. So all the things I love, actually, as I'm like a, a buff of all of them. Anthropology, throw that in there for me. I mean, it's <laughs> all great. And, and I, I'm a major history fan. I'm first generation Norwegian, so I know something a little bit about the Viking Age, like quite a bit actually. Sure. But what what so what's interesting is 
I'm not that far in a, out in a limb that King Charles and Prince Charles might not be as royal as people think, correct? Sure. Yeah, and it's interesting, and I'm not sort of directly attacking it, but it's fun. I'm not talking either. This. I'm just got yeah, to yeah, wrote this. people to do their own research. Well, go ahead. Absolutely, and that's the thing. And it, But it was interesting because I wrote this 10 years ago, and then all of a sudden, I think it was like three years ago, four years ago, stuff started to come out, yeah. but they weren't the real royals. And then and then all of a sudden, you're seeing stuff behind the scenes that um, they're stepping down. We know the queen... Who had, had quote-unquote passed last year, I think it was. Um, had, yeah. yeah, had passed earlier, years yeah. before. And, um, and it's kind of interesting, though, because I'm trying to keep the books current. So I know when we were, we, we created the uh, Britfield and the Lost Crown theatrical play that we launched last year, which is really exciting, specifically for elementary middle schools. So I had to go back and remove there's just one line that said it's the queen in residence, and I had to, and I had to change it to are the royals in residence, you know, because I'm trying to keep it like current time, like it's yeah, happening. No, sure. so, so let's talk about the recent history. So Buckingham Palace, from what I re recall, April or May of 2020 was vacated, right? The emblem yeah. was taken down and, and it looked like they put up, uh, you know, I used to be in construction management in New York City. So it looked like they put up either fake windows or whatever, the blinds, uh, they just, they shut the whole place down. And and, and people yeah. were there just like, what what, what, what happened? You know, I was like during COVID, so people said it was locked down, but no, no, then the queen was forever in Windsor to the end. And I think the end was September 8th, uh, 2022. So about a year and a half ago is when she passed. And then the yeah, Vatican, so in the same month, the Vatican Bank went out of business on the end. They called back all their loans worldwide. So we got some interesting stuff going on, the connection between the Vatican and the Queen. But go ahead. No, I love it. I love bringing this stuff in because it's it's the history's great because I, I have a lot of older history that I tie in, but it's current history. And then you're seeing all these things that are happening and it's almost, it almost seems like it's prophetic. I know when book two came out, Britfield and the rise of the lion that's in, in France, people were reading it and saying like, what are you prophetic? And part of it is just because I'm doing my research and I'm bringing in a lot of topics and subjects that are finally making their way into the headlines, but that's been around behind the scenes for five to 10 years. But even book three, which takes place in Italy, there's a great scene um, in Italy at the Basilica at the uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, major scene where Tom and Sarah sneak in down underneath the caverns where all kinds of manuscripts and books and gold is covered and 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 um, and find and they're basically looking for the um, the second Britfield manuscript, uh, not manuscript, um, uh, book on on knowledge. Anyway, so um, yeah, so it's just great. Like all the stuff you're talking about with the Vatican, we we bring that kind of stuff in England. We bring that stuff in. We bring stuff that's happening in France. The Louvre, what's happening underneath that museum. Um, yeah, so go ahead. I love it. I'm going to go back in history now. Let's go back to 1066. Basically, okay. basically the Harold uh, Hardworker was a phenomenal Viking king in the sense that he kicked more butt than anybody. <laughs> he actually ended up in Sicily. He dominated the Mediterranean at the time, and he was the last of the Vikings to invade England proper. And he, and he went into uh, Hastings, and they ended up being uh, killed because I guess somehow they knew the Vikings were coming in, and they had a fight at Stamford Bridge, and that was the end of the Vikings. But that was three weeks before William the Conqueror. William the Conqueror goes in, but beats a, a, a how would I say this, a fatigued would be, you know, and maybe a depleted British force thanks to the Vikings three weeks before. So that all ties in. But in 1087, William the Conqueror dies. And whatever legal documents he left, he didn't want him or his, or his children to own any part of England, right? They already had Normandy. So he wasn't, they call him William the Conqueror, but he wasn't really there to take over England proper. 
So it's a, it's a very interesting history. And people really need to go back to 1087. It's really the time to start looking at some of those documents. Okay. Talk about do you, you, in, in any of your books, you talk about William the Conqueror. Oh, yeah, I do. Um, uh, not a lot because these aren't history books. Right. And I always have to remind myself it's not it's not travel books. It's not history books. Yeah. But we do we do thread it in, especially in book two, um, building on this whole idea of Britfield, you know. And so we, we talk about uh, 1066 and William the Conqueror and how <laughs> Britfields were part of that, um, you know, royal connection. And then and then through the centuries, they were kind of usurped because they had actual stronger claims, um, everything under the Tudors. And they were kind of banished and then under uh, the Stuarts. Uh, which is actually my my background in relation, uh, which is a very tyrannical um, um, uh, regime, if you will, for over a hundred years, and yep. um, and really started to attack attack the Britfields and and arrest them and kill them, and then and then finally it was actually Queen Victoria, uh, someone that was that was uh, responsible for her, that um, wanted to banish the rest of the Britfields and stuff. So it was, it's very interesting how I tie this history in with real events, real people. And this threaded in with the Britfield, but we do anchor it all the way back to the um, uh, William the Conqueror. Very good. I'm going to play a couple of your videos now for the audience so you can learn a little bit more about Britfield. Hold on. Here we go. Hi, I'm best-selling and award-winning author C.R. Stewart of the Britfield and Lost Crown series. And I just wanted to have a shout out to Advanced Amazon Ads and Alex. Uh, I was made aware of them last year, uh, one of my uh, teammates. And uh, so we started working with them in October and November. I mean, we've been launching our book nationally and now we're launching globally. And at the time we were kind of uh, sluggish on Amazon, not moving as many products as we wanted to. And ever since Amazon, uh, ever since Alex has taken over, advanced uh, Amazon ads has taken over. It's been amazing. Um, I've seen the sales, uh, gosh, increase by at least 30, 40, 50%. So he's doing an amazing job. He has uh, extraordinary experience. He's, he's one of the best in the business. We've gone through a lot of different people and have hired and fired many different companies. And so far, I'm, I'm excited to work with them. We're, we're going on, gosh, what is it now? About eight months. And we've now moved out into Canada and England. And we're now in Germany and we'll be moving into France and Australia over the summer uh, using Alex and using his team uh, as we uh, sort of go globally with our uh, best-selling series. So I'm excited and I'm just uh, more than privileged to, uh, to give him a shout out and uh, to say that he's one of the few in the business that really knows what he's doing and will really deliver on uh, getting your product, getting your book out there. So let's talk about how important it is for someone like you writing the Britfield series to, to work along with something like, like Amazon. And you went through a series of companies you talked about, right? I'm an author myself and sure. it's a challenge, right? You, you know, one thing is the right, you actually need someone full-time on social media because there's not enough hours in a week to do both. Correct. Yeah. It's uh, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, it really is. And, and, you know, we started back uh, over 10 years ago with the idea of Britfield and book one it took me four years, 2,500 hours just to write book one, 384 pages. And then from concept to launching August, 2019, 10 years of building a team. And then now we're, we're really into year five now. And I think everything that we've done for the last five years in many ways has been a soft launch because we're really going for, for global um phenomenon you know i mean we're 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 our goal is to outsell harry potter in the next 10 years but with all of that said it is a full-time tremendous 
hardworking job. I think so much that I've learned has been counterintuitive. You know, uh, people in marketing don't know anything about marketing. You know, yeah. the experts in social media don't know anything about social media. Pretty much everyone in publishing doesn't know the first thing about publishing. They run a 97% failure rate. So for every 100 books that are published, 97 fail to make a profit. So they just throw a ton of stuff at the at the, uh, at the the wall and hope something sticks. And they don't get behind marketing the book. They'll take all the rights. They'll give you 8 to 10% on royalties. Um, and you're assuming that they're keeping accurate records if you actually get any royalties. So they take the lion's share based on your years of hard work and thousands of hours. And so whole industry is very it's very controlled, as you well know, and you've talked about and very hard um, to break in or even have a success. And it, it is it's 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 you know, we, we partner with some of the largest conservative marketers um, in the in the business, you know, when we come in, kind of have them run like a six week pilot program, you know, and say, all right, you know, we're, we'd love to work with you. We'll throw a lot of money this way <clears throat> if it works. Uh, but here's like, you know, six months, give us kind of a deal, see what you can bring to the table. And, you know, after three weeks or four weeks, total disappointment. They don't know anything. They don't sell anything. Um, you know, it's like for every $2,000 you're spending, you're maybe making $300 in profit, you know, that'll put you out of business. And that's the reality out there. So it's very hard to know what works. Um, and, and like I said, most of the, most of the things I've learned has been counterintuitive. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and we live in a digital age. So things are changing not every 10 years, like in the old days, it's changing every, every True. year, every two years. I mean, AI, you know, uh, wasn't even around in 2022, the way it was last year. Right. And it's sure. new forms of this year. And how's that? It's going to help on research. I'll say that right now. It's going to save a mm -hmm. lot of time. If I can, if I can go through a thousand videos and look and keyword search that that is an AI is going to be a game changer. That's all I can say. Well, you're right about things changing uh, quickly, and 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 so like, and we're aware of that. You know, like where email campaigns might have been great two 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 years ago, it's it's like it's it's almost meaningless now because people are just so saturated with it. You know, fifty or hundred emails a day, they don't even think it or look at them. You know, and so um, or social media. You know, what I mean, like Facebook was big you know a couple of years ago now it's shifting over to instagram or some other things and so you really have to be nimble in this business and 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 they say in marketing if you fail fail fast i don't need i don't need a month to realize the campaign's not working i'll know within a day you know not within the first couple of hours it's being that attuned and that sort of nimble if you will uh and flexible but that's like it's like opening a new uh, city and a brand new restaurant put millions of dollars into it and you get very few people showing up in the first week same thing or a broadway play you actually know sure. really early on like you said and this is for the, the people in the audience that actually might want you know thinking about writing are writing have had frustrations never quit don't worry about the money money part of it do, you know do what's passion to you it's always good but if you do get into it uh maybe follow what what chad has done maybe go to his institute maybe you know go online do it yourself but I think it's important because I'm I'm an author, so so is Chad. So I think that's important. Let me play the uh, video on Britfield. I think that's the trailer. You need to go to the website and then the trailer's on it. All right, let me. I got it. I think I got it next. Okay. <laughs> let me go next. 
Although it's sort of hypnotic just watching the balloon. It, it is <laughs> hypnotic. <laughs> Ripping a lost crown. This one's a uh, little longer. It's a minute plus. Yeah, it's a good trailer. It's kind of fun. Spinning. That's not it, but I'll play it right after. I have it lined up after. Oh, okay. got over 40, 40 awards now. The world changed since then, huh? I guess it has. You know, the world the world's changed quite a bit in the last three years. I'm going to say that right now. I got your official trail coming up right now. Don't worry, audience. Be patient with James. <laughs> it's Friday. Music isn't working. So talk so, about why, why did you choose an orphanage for these two young, I guess what, investigators, world travelers? Yeah, apologies to the audience who the sound wasn't coming through. I don't know why, but um, but no, that's kind of a fun fun trailer though. Um, but uh, yeah, I love I love the orphanage. It's interesting as an author, you have three choices really. You know, you have you have that they have two parents, they have one parent, or they're an orphan. So I really went with the orphans, and I think for a couple reasons. One is I think it adds mystery. Right. You know, what happened to their parents? I think it, a bit of compassion that they don't have parents. Um, and I think, we, you know, really the book Britfield series, this fast paced series is based on family, friendship, loyalty and courage. And so it's that idea about family. That's our main foundation and what family means. And it doesn't necessarily mean by birth or blood, but by people that come into your life and are, you know, powerful um, friends and associates that become part of your family. Like for Tom and Sarah, all the orphans are a family and they would do anything to protect one another. So I think that was kind of fun. That was interesting. And then all, all of a sudden you have Tom, who's the lead character, 
12 years old, you know, has been an orphan his whole life, has no memory of anything and been at four different orphanages. And now he finally finds out that his parents might still be alive. And so like, whoa. And um, eventually they break out of Weatherly. But before they leave, they're given this one clue, Britfield. What does Britfield mean? And so it's kind of this really fun royal mystery, fast-paced adventure series, like, you know, starting up in Yorkshire and then ending up in Canterbury. And it's very, very specific too. all these different areas like Yorkshire, uh, Northern England. It's kind of that industrial kind of um, uh, harks back to the 19th century industrial model, the factories. And then you have Oxford where they crash land the balloon. And it's like, you know, the epitome of academia. And that's where they meet Professor Hainsworth, who's a great father figure. And then Windsor, you know, they're in a storm and they kind of crash into Windsor. And it's like, suddenly so you have royalty and you have Tom, who might be associated with the real royals, ending up at Windsor. So it's kind of symbolic, ironic. And then London, banking, and then down to Canterbury, religion. And so it's very interesting, the different aspects of, of the book. So That reminds me of uh, Heathcliff in Weathering Yes. And the other Bronte sister, Jane Eyre, right? Uh, you know, those two phenomenal that's, novels from the 19th century. Both that's why I picked it. Right, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, that's why it's funny. I love that you you tuned in on it. You might be the only one that did. That's why I picked Yorkshire and those the, the moors and the rolling hills. And I've been there. I visited their house in Hayworth, I think it is, a uh, little medieval up on this, this hill. And the church is still there where their father preached. Their house is still there. Their house is surrounded by a graveyard. How creepy is that? Which explains a lot about their stories. But no, I was very inspired by those two books, um, Jane Eyre and, and Withering Heights. And so, yeah, yeah shout out to them. Those were incredible books. So very informative for me. Very left, left deep impressions. I mean, I love Kate Bush. She's coming out and giving you know, in the late seventies into the eighties. Give you know, giving oh, right. her take on Weathering Heights, and 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 then all the rest of her music has that kind of same passion from the Yorkshires, and she's British, so just, yeah. just fascinating. So you got some highlights coming up for Britfield. We got a theatrical play coming global this year, correct? Correct. Yes. Then you got global book tours coming. We do, yeah. We're hoping uh, we'll be at the London Book Fair in March. And so uh, we're hoping to do like a four to six week uh, tour of uh, Britain, Scotland, and even a bit of Ireland. And then that's going to be kind of our, our staging for um, European tour, Eastern Europe. We've got Eastern Europe hopefully in the fall um, for about uh, six to eight weeks, uh, visiting eight to ten countries, which will be incredible. And then we have tours planned for Asia and south america and stuff so um and and eventually uh even india would be pretty cool so it's uh, really over the next three years it's gonna be global tours part of it's gonna be for the promotion of the first movie the rest of it is obviously for the series and uh, we're exciting we're, we've got about 18 countries right now that are um interested in in purchasing the uh international rights to the series yeah our first our first one was poland and they've uh, they've uh, purchased all three books and translated all three and, Britfield and books. Poland's big on protecting its borders, unlike uh, the Biden. Regime. It is, I'm, yeah, I'm coming just, back full circle the borders. I'm yeah. just saying, you know, this is this show is about borders. Right? I mean, God talked about borders in the Old Testament. Yes, Mark is named after Mark after a border. I mean, hello, you know, the Danes <laughs> Mark their border for Denmark. All right. Come on, yeah. let's yeah, we got to wake up here. We've got a Brit Britfield television series. Talk to us about that. Yeah, it's exciting. That's in development right now and been talking with a separate producer. So we have producers for the for the movie, which we can really dig into because that's fun. In fact, here's the uh third uh draft third um draft of the Britfield script, the movie right here. Kind of cool. Nice. Uh 
Yeah. How, how, many page, how many pages is a script? Uh, usually, uh, tentatively, they say uh, every page is a minute. Yeah, so that's for, what I'm asking. For, yeah, for a two-hour uh, movie, you would have uh, 120 pages, give or take. Yep. Ours is about um, our movie will be about two hours and 15 minutes. Good um, to carry to carry the whole story. I think that's good. The first Harry Potter movie was two and a half hours, just to give you an idea. And um, and our our script's about about 140, so we're a little over, but it's not a it's not a complete science either. It's, no, so. it's not Godfather at 180 to 200 minutes, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want to keep it tight and stuff, but we're really excited. So, yeah, we're working on television programs. We're actually, appreciate this, we're working on the Britfields, uh, which would actually go back to Norman times. You know, it's it's kind of the history. I mean, it's kind of, it's high octane. It's fast. It's suspenseful. It's interesting. Great characters. And it's like this massive background. We'd love to run it for anywhere from three to five years. Think of the Tudors, which I thought was a really great, you know, uh, series. It was. Or Rome, yeah. that was another great series. They had... Um, um, Oh, they had the one about uh, Mary Queen of Scots. I can't think of it offhand. And they ran yeah. that for five seasons. And I and I'm you know hats off that they're they're taking they're going back 500 years and they're making history fascinating and interesting for not only adults but kids to watch. I know there's a lot of kids that were watching. Oh, it's called Rain. Uh, and right. It was about yeah Rain. It was about uh, uh, Mary Queen of Scots who we're actually connected to. And and it's funny too because you love history and it's like I do too. And that was one of the reasons for the Ritfield series was to bring the love of history. Um, and reading back into the into the kids' minds and into the schools, and um, and but to do it in such a way that it, it's fascinating, interesting. But it's like it, the history is fascinating, and, and Mary Queen of Scots' story. Oh my gosh! If you want a great novel to read, <laughs> read her biography. It's unbelievable. You can't make this stuff up. What she went through. Um, and I'm thinking if we had time, I, I could say a couple of scenes. She, she, just... She's the real royal uh, for everyone out there. So. You, 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 you know, you, we're going to learn, we're in Revelation or Apocalypse, which is not the end of the world. It is the great unveiling. And I believe mm -hmm. the next 10 years, we are going to be red-pilled and learning our real history, learning our truths. But a lot of our history is true, but a lot of it has also been obfuscated. So we're going to find yes. quite a bit. And stuff's been hit, hidden because the occult's been in charge. Um, you got Britfield, the Eastern Empire book, that's book four. It's coming out in September. Yeah, very excited. So we're back to the television program. So we have the uh, the Britfields, and then the second one that's in development would be um, uh, Weatherly, the orphanage, and sort of going back in time a little bit. I just think that would be a really fun series of kind of all the things that go on behind the scenes and some of the breakouts and the, what the kids do and, you know, and uh, just kind of a really great children's program that I'm sure adults would love, too. So those kind of the two series that we're working on. And then, um, yes, I started uh, last year, January um, outlining book four, Britfield and the Eastern Empire. It took me four months just to outline the book. I'm, everyone has their own writing technique. What I do is I literally will outline the whole thing. I mean, every single scene. So it's not turn like I've got to turn out the cell phone for four months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so it's it's 84 scenes, you know, from start to finish. I'm about 75% finished. Um, I got a bit sidetracked in November because I had to dig back into the movie script for four weeks. Yeah, um, yeah. And stuff. But anyway, so yes, yeah, so we're launching that in September of this year. Very excited. Starts in Vienna and then we'll head to Bratislava and then to Czech Republic. There's an awesome scene there at the castle. Uh, goes to um, uh, Krakow and Warsaw, Poland, Berlin, um, Baltic Ocean. We bring in Lithuania, Estonia, uh, Romania. And um, and then Russia, St. Petersburg, Russia, and Moscow. So it's we bring in I think eight or ten countries that we incorporate. So it's kind of a different shift now. We go from with the first three books, it's a country, right? England, France, and Italy. Now it's 
now it's countries and it's Eastern Europe. And then book five, obviously will be Asia. So start in South Korea and then come through some other countries and stuff. So it's kind of fun now to include all of this world tour. Yeah. So the, the uh, two protagonists, what travel in the balloon from country to country. Is that more or less what happened? No, no, that's a great question. Cause when I first wrote book one, I thought, Oh, I could do this really cool series with the balloon and then, you know, they travel around different countries, but I'd say about halfway through book one, I got real tired of the balloon because it's like I did everything you could. You know, it's chased by a helicopter. You, you know, they come they come into a uh, balloon carnival. They run out of propane. They get stuck in a in a um, in a um, uh, lightning storm. Probably not a good idea to be flying in that. And then they kind of crash land. So by the time I finally crashed them into Serpentine Lake in Hyde Park, that was it. No more balloons. And so um, so no, but it's really about Tom and Sarah. And in book one, they're twelve, and Sarah's kind of his best friend. Tom has that Britfield connection, and then book two, as they're as they're pursuing the Britfields, and they and they and they're taking a, um, a boat over to uh, to Calais in France. Six months has passed when you start book two, and now they're thirteen, and that's a great adventure. That's four hundred seventy-four pages, and then book three, five hundred seventy-five pages, Britfield and Return the Prince, which is in Italy. They're now fourteen, so they're, they're my main characters. And what's a lot of fun is is they're growing by one year in every book. And as we all know, from 12 to 13 is like a decade, right? And 13 to 14, like a decade, yeah. So, and, and it's fun for me as an author. Like right now, they're they're pretty much 15 years old in book four. And I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting back, you know, I was a sophomore at high school. You know, I'm reflecting back to what that was like. Yep. And, um, you know, like... Like, you know, in book one, when Tom's 12, he's not, he'll never look at, he's not looking at girls except as just, you know, friends, maybe, you know, by book three, he's like kind of looking and sort of interested, you know what I mean? And it's like, and, and so it's very subtle, very natural, um, but a lot of fun. So you're kind of playing that in as, as he's developing and growing, as Sarah's developing and growing. And it's really cool. Yeah. Very interesting. And so your movie, uh, Britfield and Lost Crown comes out in November, 2025. Is that correct? That's our that's our goal. That's our date. In fact, I'm talking with my producer today at one, and uh, we're actually going through uh, the last this year, uh, first week in January. I, I returned to the script. You know, it had already been a third draft. I yep. went from 168 to 148. That was a lot of crunch, and did a final polish that I thought would take four days. It took ten, and it just so I just lost ten days. I I, <laughs> I know I know the feeling. Trust me, I've been there. I've, I've written screenplays before. And I get around round to it uh, once once we're done with this COVID, uh, this global global is trying to shut us all down, right? We're still in this war. Let's switch gears and go to the BritfieldInstitute.org. So it's centered around what five, five domains, five principles: creativity, literacy, leadership, innovation, entrepreneurship. So, absolutely. Why did you why did you set this up? What what was the inspiration behind it? You went with the Britfield book first and then eventually to the Institute, or was it the other way around? Oh no, yeah, yeah. I was with the Britfield book first and stuff. But I've always been fascinated with creativity and um and the need for creativity. And and it's been some by you know by some great writers out there and some great researchers. Um the first time that really woke me up was Sir Ken Robinson. Yeah. Uh, it was a TED Talk, 2006 or our schools killing creativity. Go watch that. Eighteen minutes. It's it's the number yes, one. Yes, we, we we're more indoctrinated in the last four years than ever before. Yeah, so that got me going, and then and then there's a book out there called The Creativity Crisis uh, by um, Dr. Kim, and she's out of William and Mary. Researched, you know, two hundred thousand students over the last couple decades, watching and showing uh, statistically 
how at a 45 degree angle in 10 specific subjects, kids are, are becoming less creative, less energetic, um, less commutative. And this is all by design. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you by design. The uh, the cell phones and social media do not help people actually bonding. No. Social distancing was was made up in 2020. They've uh, yep. committed. Francis Collins admitted. No, that's, uh, that, that's admitted. Social distancing so it's not a conspiracy. From... They made yeah. it up all that anti-human because we're social animal, anti-human behavior. They made it all up in 2020. And they're trying to bring it again in North Carolina and other states. They're trying to do the 2020 PSYOP all over again. If you live in North Carolina, and I got a couple of, couple of experts coming on in about 10 days, you should not comply to any of the mandates. You're given free will by God, not by the government. Go ahead, Chad. Oh, no, I love what you're saying. And it was so funny, too, because I, I was on, um, when we uh, launched uh, Britfield and Lost Crown in August 2019, we started a national school tour, and I drove 9,000 miles, 23 states, 200 schools, and more than 40,000 students. I was in Memphis, Tennessee. In March 2020, when all of a sudden everything started shutting down, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And I smiled a rat from a mile away, but, you know, here I am in my car. I have to drive all the way back. And it's funny you said that because I, I went to my club. You know, I get back that that week, and I went to my my club, and it was the first time. And I saw, like, um, there was those running machines, you know, uh, or whatever the machines were. And every other one, you know, like one was taped off, and it said social distancing. And the second I saw that, I said, that is a Tavistock Institute word. Yes. You know, and if yes. you're familiar with Tavistock Institute, they're behind all kinds of stuff. But that word, social distancing, that, that was not a natural word that came about. And, and um, But anyway, so uh, let uh, me throw this out there for the audience. MI6, Mossad and CIA are all behind Epstein Island. It wasn't Jeffrey Epstein. He was just a, the face of that movement. Just throw sure. it out to the audience. Tavistock's no better. Um, so I, you know, of the five things, literacy obviously is clearly important, right? And the other other thing, maybe, you know, your institute doesn't cover, but which is fundamental people that need, you know, kids need math. They need to understand how math works so they can manage sure. finance in the future, all stuff, right? Because many, too many Americans are financially illiterate in school, right? They're taught almost nothing. It shouldn't be. Yeah. Right. And so those are two things. So those are foundational learning things, but then you have creativity and innovation. So what's the difference between innovation and creativity in your view? Yeah, and I think that's great. That's a great question. I, I think innovation comes from creativity. It comes from an idea, you know, being creative. Now, we are all born creative. Now, a lot of people feel that we're we're not born creative or I'm not creative. You are. You're born creative. I mean, you know, so much of it is is um, environment and opportunity. So this whole sort of stuff about genetics, that's bunk. That's bunk science. The fact that we use 10% of our brain, bunk science. That's all crap. <laughs> Got to be careful. But um, we're you. all born creative. And it's like really from creativity, everything comes, you know, ideas and, and um, entrepreneurship and the arts. What were the first thing they hammered in the schools? They got rid of the arts, you know, and whereas the arts are the most important thing in the world. Yeah. Really? Um, I think math is important, but I don't I don't think the elevation that they take it with geometry and, and trigonometry and they they keep carrying it on uh, into a confusing, you know, ridiculousness. Number one, that you'll never use. Number two, that most kids fail at and so they feel like a failure because they're not scoring high i think basic math is important i was an architect and i was an investment banker and i never needed anything beyond basic math ever and so i'm a proponent of my 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 sisters uh, and and uh, uh nieces are math teachers so it's like you know like for for elementary um six six and, and seventh and eighth grade so you know um 
I'm a supporter of it, but creativity is at the core of everything. I think innovation comes from creativity, having an idea and then being able to do something with it. Um, so we're huge into that. We're huge into entrepreneurship. But again, we're focused on kids, not not in high school. We're focused on, you know, 11, 10, 12 year old children, you know, with with sort of uh, writing workshops, entrepreneur workshops. Which, which is elementary school before heading into junior high, really, really is the age group, right? Fourth, it is, yeah. That's, fourth, that's fifth, very... and sixth grade, essentially, is, is more or less. I, re I remember, you know, 10, 11, 12, right? Or 12 is junior high. It right? is, yeah. It's a tipping point. 12 is really a tipping. 12 is a great age, and then 13 becomes a tipping point um, where it's harder to connect with and harder to reach. And so we're really focused on planting seeds, inspiring, letting them know the importance of having an idea and staying with it. I mean, when I was doing my tours, I'd come in there and I'd, I'd, I'd say, you know, um, number one, I, I love the quote by Victor Hugo, and he says, no standing army can conquer an idea whose time has come. So beautiful. No right. standing army can conquer an idea whose time has come. And I talked about my idea for Britfield and that it took me 10 years, 10 years of hard work, 10,000 hours yeah. of hard work, of dedication, mm -hmm. of commitment, failure, frustration, rejection, went through it all. And, and only, I'm telling that you only yeah. fail if you walk away from it. So you, you might come to obstacles, you might come to challenges. You realize it's not good enough. You have to go back and revise. Anyone outside of Mozart, where you know these born geniuses, and I, there are some, right? Sure, sure. Anyone outside of that, you have to go through permutations. You have to go through evolutions, right? You have to go through revisions and edits and things, and you have to listen to mentors who've been there, especially if you're young, right? Fine, you, you'll 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 make a connection. You'll understand which mentors. Are really good because not all teachers are, are excellent, right? There's three percent, like you said, that are phenomenal teachers. Three percent of the books are grand slams, and ninety percent are failures, right? Or, or don't break even. So I'm with you on that. Let's talk about leadership going into entrepreneurship because I think you need, right? If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you do need the creativity, you do need the innovation, but leadership. So talk about leadership and then go, leadership segueing into entrepreneurship at your institute. Go ahead. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, when you said when you said leadership, my first thought was homeschool. You know, homeschooling because we're a big proponent of, of the homeschooling movement. We've gone from five million to now almost twenty million nationwide, and the and the most well-rounded children that I've ever met are homeschooled. You know, they're grounded. Uh, they ask great questions. Um, they're intelligent. They're smart. They're well-read. They're creative, and um, they are kind of the leaders of 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 the next generation are the homeschoolers. I'm not saying there's not some good public schools and I'm not saying there's some good privates, um, but the homeschoolers is a very organic, very cool um, kind of educational system. And, and I'm, and I'm answering your question about leadership because what, when I was visiting this uh, farm in uh, Carson, Nevada, as part of our tour, it was a homeschool farm. And I'll never forget. I was driving up and I saw a bunch of boys playing basketball. It was their break. And it was like from 17 to 12, and maybe seven kids, all different ages. And I'm like, when's the last time at recess you've ever seen 12, 12, 13, 16, and 17-year-old playing basketball together? And so what it was doing, what it does is it brings them all together. You're in 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 traditional school, your only qualification to be in that classroom is that you're 12 years old. I mean, ridiculous, right? With the homeschool, it's like you have a intermixing. And so it's like you have the 12 and 13-year-olds that are esteeming and looking up to the older kids, you know, and the older kids that now have a responsibility. For the younger kids and i think that sort of natural early early childhood um interaction helps these kids become great leaders um i think having the freedom to think i think not being stuck in an institution for 40 hours a week you know um 
you know, looking at a chalkboard, you know, and you're wondering, oh, why are they so antsy at eight years old? It's like because they're sitting in a chair at eight years old for eight hours. It's not natural. It's not, no, it's, no, it's, you know, it's not natural. So homeschooling, uh, thanks to thank you, COVID. So there are some silver linings in, in, in the COVID absolutely. lockdowns. At least two, two million, probably three million by now, maybe even more, have left the public school system and are homeschooled. And so I've talked to some parents about homeschool. I have a vaccinated autistic kid, so I've gone through a lot of special ed. But I understand what they're doing is technically these children that go into younger children. I mean, you know, a little bit older, right? Hit that tipping point of thirteen. What they're they're doing young is what two hours of like math and math and reading, right? The basics. A little history, maybe four hours max, and then it's outdoors four hours. And the four hours outdoors is, is learning how to grow your food. Maybe it's oh, yeah. carpentry, right? It's 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 whatever. It's how to use your hands and how to interact. Yeah. Right? Some mothers bring over a bunch of ch children in the neighborhood, do exactly this, right? And then they interact for the afternoon, most of them, depending on the weather and everything else. So it's it's happening, and now I'm I'm, I'm interviewing pastors that are growing their own own dry yes. farms out in Oklahoma. So they're and he's teaching his uh, constituents or his con his um, churchgoers how to grow their own food. So it, it's not just reading Bible verse anymore. These are adults, and so we have to reeducate the adults that that don't know how to use their hands. We have, you know, we have to, we have to change what they've taken, what, what the public school systems have taken away from us. Yeah, it's interesting. I had this wonderful conversation uh, interview a couple of days ago, actually, about, you know, kind of the next generation of kids and, and, and kids that grow up like on a farm, you know, and it's like six, seven years old, they've got the responsibility to let the cows out or to feed the cows or to, you know, or work the horses or, you know, uh, you know, open this or, I mean, you know, stuff that we, we, we would even conceive of, but it's just like, I mean, you're building this, this sort of tough, smart, not complaining, not whining, uh, go-to attitude from these young kids. I worked on a farm in Kansas when I was um, uh, younger and it's just like, I learned more. You know, I mean, good luck loading a hay truck. It's like, wow, I'll never forget that. Never forget um, driving a tractor, you know, on a farm and stuff and the responsibility and, and the hard work and the discipline and the sense of family and community. And so, you know, again, it's just like this is the type of stuff that children you were talking about, you know, farming or planting, you know, simple things like that. I, I we had a sixth grade. I, I had a great elementary school in Newport Beach, California. And uh, I remember my sixth grade teacher, she was wonderful, very creative. And we had our own, um, we were growing our own things like we were in groups and we were growing our own things in the back and loved that, you know, planting the seeds and putting the soil and watering it and watching it grow. Still remember that. And um, and that impacts. And that's the type of impact. See, the enemy knows how vulnerable your children are and how stuff can stick. And so it's that shock treatment. It's the garbage and crap that they're exposing them to. And everyone that's involved in this, every one of them will be accountable and yeah. there's a reckoning coming. I'm telling I, you. I'm with you on the reckoning. There is no five stages of grief on this. Uh, when the people actually wake up and realize what's happened, oh, my God. The gender transition, totally against it, right? I mean, oh, just course. insane, insane Marxist laws out there. I just we're, we're going to a breaking point, which is good. It needs to happen, and people need to be shocked awake. Those are not quite awake yet. Sure. We have about uh, uh, four minutes left. Talk about merchandise and then close out the show. Go ahead. Merchandise on Britfield, where can people find it? What do you what do you, what do you have for people and for kids in particular? Game boards. What do we what do you have? Yeah, it's kind of fun. We um it's it's kind of a, a process and stuff. It was first the three books. Hitting the trilogy for the book series was big. 
Um, and now obviously book four is kind of fun. The movie, um, I would say the theatrical play is a, is a product. It's a 90 minute two act play. It's on our website, ritfield.com. It's turnkey for, 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 for parents, for homeschoolers, specifically for schools to put on a great fast paced, fun, exciting story with speaking roles for over 30 student actors. We have 28 sound effects. We have uh, 53 digital slides that you can project on the screen. We have a director's script, actor's script, director's notes. I mean, it is turnkey and so you can go on and license it. So that's a very cool product to sort of, you know, put that kind of quality content back in the schools. Uh, we're working on a board game, which is fun. And believe it or not, you kind of sit there and say, well, what about the digital game and stuff? And yes, you know, that's in the works. That's kind of down the line. You know, it's going to be very cool. You can see once the movie comes out and then the digital type of game. And what's fun about it is it's so interactive and it's so natural. Kids will be like in England and they'll be seeing pictures and traveling, you know, England into France. And so the game will be amazing. Um, but that's kind of out of my hands. But the board game, believe it or not, the board game industry is a $2 billion industry. And it's growing at 5% every year. Isn't that interesting? The physical that, that, board that game. That is interesting because you'd think that'd go away, but it's it's not. Yeah. I mean, kids need physical you know, pieces to move around the board and interact with each other. So I think it's great. We're working on puzzles. <laughs> right. Good. Yeah, so we got three puzzles, but uh, they're just prototypes. So we're kind of working on that, but that's kind of fun. Uh, but the board game, the Britfield board game will be very, very cool. And it's um, kind of a combination between... Um, risk life and clue if you will yeah um and where every kind of game that you play is is a you know you have a different outcome and, and and mysteries involved in it so that's very complex but very cool very excited about that we're actually going to incorporate a lot of schools in the process of the board game and run contests um for groups you know that come up with with the best idea for the board game and stuff and do you know do giveaways and have a lot of fun with that scholarships and that's, again, coming back and involving kids into something very creative and being part of this whole process. We're doing a read through. I didn't get up, mean to get off track, but we're doing a read through, you know, for the third draft um, script in February next month. And uh, we're coming back to um, I was just talking with the woman, Michelle Shoemaker. She helped with the, the play. Yeah. And, and it was yeah. her school that we actually did the first pilot back in um, 22, October 22 for four nights. Very successful um standing house only i mean the kids were amazing to see the whole britfield story come to life on on the theater and so we're we're going to be um uh, doing it with some children actors actually doing the read through with the movie script with some of um professional actors for the adults and then some of the children actors uh that's part of her school and her group and we're going to be doing that next month so it's kind of cool i'm i'm saying that just saying it's fun to bring them in and let them be involved in something that's just amazing and have these experiences and stuff and so uh yeah that's part of that's part of education is interaction so chad uh close out the show you got a minute go ahead yeah well thank you for the time today it was great and uh you know if you're interested in, in really a fast-paced fun adventure novel or series britfield's great um i think what's great about it is that it takes place in current time it's not um post-apocalyptic or futuristic we don't bring in any magic or witchcraft or demigods or superheroes it's a very authentic story Children and adults um, alike will learn geography, history, art, architecture, and culture. It's based on family, friendship, loyalty, and courage. Youngest readers, seven. Oldest readers, 93. And 55% of our audience are adults. So it's a great... I feel like what, what Lewis was doing with Narnia was he was trying to write um, uh, children's books for adults. And so I feel I figure that's kind of what we're doing. I'm trying to write... I'm writing these fun, fast-paced adventure novels for adults that kids love. So...
I think I think some adults need need some more child play activity and and yeah. things of nature. So I'm with you because they become a little too stiff and boring. They lose creativity, lose their edge. I I am with you 100%. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. Audience, tomorrow, decentralized.media. You'll find links in here. You'll find a subscribe button. You'll find a donation button. You can get Dr. Christian Northrup's uh, books, autographed books. You can get products from Dr. Northrup and Dr. Lee Merritt. And you got other parts to becoming a founding membership of our platform. We love you. Take care. Have a good day. Mm -hmm.